Yesterday, my children purchased uh, for me an espresso machine for my wife's birthday. As we were, my son and I were praying in the car on the way up here, Caleb said to the Lord, Lord, help my dad to be calm this morning. And I thought that was appropriate because I had two shots of espresso, espresso this morning. And so I need the Lord to help me to be calm this morning. Um, as Pastor Milton said, uh, I am Carlos. I am one of the pastors, one of the seven pastors here at Cornerstone. It is my privilege as well as responsibility and duty this morning to bring to you the Word of God. And so would you please join with me in prayer as we ask the Lord to help us. We need His help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, We bring ourselves before your throne, your throne of grace, this morning for help in our time of need. Lord, we need you. We always need you. We know that we need you more than what we realize. We need you. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. That, Lord, you would give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you speak to us. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. That, Lord, through your word, you would affect change in us. You would conform us into the image of Christ. You would make us to be what you have called us to be in Christ. That we would grow together in our love for you and for one another, Lord. Help us. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Last week, we heard a phenomenal message from our guest speaker on the topic of unity. We learned from Paul's letter to the Ephesians that our Lord Jesus, through his own shed blood at Calvary's cross, has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall, and he has brought peace between Jews and Gentiles, brought peace between them in their ethnic divide, making them into one new man. The divide between Jew and Gentile could only be bridged by the gospel, only by the gospel. And Paul wants his readers to know that through the power of the gospel, there is no divide, and the two have become one new man in Christ. Brothers, sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the great glue that brings us together as one. We must not compromise this important truth, especially 
in our day of division and polarization. And Paul's burden for his readers is to embrace gospel-centered, propositional truth in order that it make a practical difference in their lives. Now, Paul does not merely want his readers to embrace the gospel. He wants his readers to experience the gospel. And this is what Paul has in mind by his use of the term walk. Walk. We see the term walk used seven times in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Clearly, Paul is concerned with the believer's walk. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for example, where Paul declares, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in them. Ephesians 4, 1, uh, the apostle Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And he goes on to describe this worthy walk. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.17 This I say therefore and I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk, there it is again, walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and he gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Ephesians 5.8, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Uh, walk, walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.15, therefore be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Every reference to walk has a horizontal component. Our relationships with one another are important. And since God places a high premium on our relationships with one another, it makes sense that Paul envisions the strengthening of relationships in our lives. He envisions the strengthening of relationships in the lives of the people of God. And so I ask you this morning, I ask you, how are your relationships? Proverbs 11.30 tells us that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise wins souls. A wise person wins souls. One way to understand what this passage is saying is that a wise person has an attractive 
quality, not in terms of looks, but he's attractive in terms of character and attitude and actions. A wise person has a magnetic quality. A wise person gains and he maintains friendships. He wins souls. And he is skilled at strengthening the relationships in his life. If you are interested in friendships, if you are interested in making friends, Christian friends, then today's message is for you. If you want to learn how to gain, maintain, and strengthen the friendships in your life, then listen well to what the Lord will say to you this morning. I am entitling our message, Strengthening the Relationships in Our Lives. Today's message will be highlighted by eight truths to embrace and act upon to strengthen our relationships with one another. Our text is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. Let us hear what God has to say to us through this passage. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Strengthening the relationships in our lives, eight truths to embrace and act upon to strengthen our relationships with one another. Truth number one, relationships are strengthened as we speak truth to each other. Relationships are strengthened as we speak truth to each other. Verse 25 reads, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Therefore, the word therefore directs us to the context of what Paul has just declared in verses 22 to 24. Allow me to summarize. Lay aside the old self. Be renewed in the spirit or in the attitude of your mind. 
put on the new self. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. And so out of the overflow of the new man that we are, we are to walk in a certain manner. We are to embrace the put off, put on paradigm. We are to live in a way that serves to strengthen the relationships in our lives, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the first thing that we are told to do is lay aside falsehood and speak truth to one another. The ninth commandment declares, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Clearly God stands opposed to lies. The Lord does not want us to lie about other people. But what about if what I say is true? What you say may be true, but then we are talking about slander. And the Lord forbids slander as well. But that is a subject for another occasion. Proverbs 16, 16 to 17 tells us uh, that the Lord hates a lying tongue. In John 8, 44, lying is linked to the devil. When Jesus addresses the religious leaders, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar. And you see the link between lying and murder, and he is, as John says, the father of lies, as John is quoting Christ. He is the father of lies. In Acts 5, chapter 1 through 11, you know the story, and we are sobered by how the Lord addresses the lies of Ananias and Sapphira. They were struck dead for their premeditated and planned out deception. Revelation 21.8 addresses all liars and declares their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. As you can see, lying is serious and we are to put aside lying. And it comes in many forms. It includes shaving the truth, Exaggerating the truth, cheating, such as cheating on the test or on your taxes, flattering, excuse-making, covering up, not speaking the truth. We are to lay aside falsehood. We are to lay aside that which is not true. We must lay aside false fronts. We are not to say things in order to make ourselves seem better than we are. And we are to lay aside the lies that we believe, including false beliefs, false theologies, false doctrines. And this requires that what we believe is informed by the word of God. We must embrace the authority and sufficiency of the word of God and allow God's word to give shape 
to what we think, what we believe, and what we do. We do not have authority over God's word, though there are many who act as though they do. We must, in humility, receive the word implanted, which James says in chapter 1, verse 21 of James, is able to save our souls. And our passage today tells us that we should be in the business of laying aside all falsehood. But we are not to just lay aside all falsehood. We are to speak the truth. This is the put on part of the paradigm. What is implied is that since we are to lay aside all falsehood, we must then clothe ourselves with and then speak only that which is true. And speaking truth implies that we know the truth and then we link such truth to life. This is a present tense active voice command. And to heed such a command often requires boldness. It is not always easy to speak truth. But that is what a true friend does. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend. A true friend will speak truth even when such truth wounds the other person. When opportunity presents itself, do not shy away from speaking truth. You may be tempted to lie and tell another person what you know they want to hear, but our passage commands us today to speak the truth. I can tell you, not just from the Word of God, but from experience, personal experience as well, that my life has been saved as a result of folks speaking truth to me. And I'm sure that you can relate as well. I needed to hear the truth of the gospel. I needed to hear the truth about my own sin. I know what it's like to be humbly and lovingly confronted about anger and lust in my own life. And such confrontations have been necessary. And those who have confronted me I consider my friends. And such confrontations have served to strengthen our friendship. And so if you want to strengthen your relationships with others, lay aside falsehood and speak truth. And we will have more to say concerning speaking the truth later in this message. For now, let us turn to truth number two. Truth two, relationships are strengthened as we avoid sinful anger in our lives. Relationships are strengthened as we avoid sinful anger in our lives. The text says in verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity 
the anger Paul first refers to is an anger that has not yet yielded to sin. Commentators see this as a righteous anger. It is an anger we feel when God is dishonored, when truth is attacked, when wickedness runs rampant. The thought of innocent unborn babies being aborted, brethren suffering unjustly, false teachers leading their flock toward eternal destruction through heretical teaching. Such thoughts ought to stir us to anger. When wickedness runs rampant and righteousness is reviled, we must check for a spiritual pulse if we are not stirred to anger. Our love for God ought to be so great that any offense against God, against holy God, ought to stir us to anger. There are some who say that the church these days needs a wake-up. The church needs to wake up to the evil allowed within its ranks and begin to feel a measure of anger. And perhaps they are right. Perhaps the church needs to feel a greater measure of anger because of the compromises made within professing Christendom and even the compromises made within our own lives as well. When professing church when the professing church abandons biblical teaching and ordains gay and lesbian pastors, we should feel stirred to anger. When contrary worldviews aimed at undermining biblical teaching is embraced by church leaders, it is appropriate to be angry. But we must never allow such anger, however righteous it might be, for an occasion to sin. We must not allow an appropriate anger to give way to evil. Thus, Paul commands his readers, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Such commands serve as warnings. They are designed to protect us as well as those we are called to love. It is never acceptable to respond in a sinful manner to the wrong that we see in others. And this is when we know that our anger has become sin. Furthermore, we must never allow our sinful anger to settle. We must address the sinful anger without delay. Otherwise, we give opportunity to the devil, and the devil likes nothing more than to go after the bride of Christ. He is pleased for us to be filled with sinful anger. He will use sinful anger even to sow discord within the body of Christ, and we must be on guard. There are things that anger me. I get angry when I see sinful attitudes and actions unnecessarily tearing the body of Christ apart. I get angry when sin opens the door. To the devil's destructive work. But I cannot allow my anger, however justified it may seem, 
to give way to sin. Sinful anger will tear at the fabric of our relationships that the Lord may want me to have with others. It is necessary for all of us to avoid sinful anger in our lives. And scripture tells us that man's anger never accomplishes the righteousness of God. We should never ruin the relationships in our lives through our own sinful anger. The fact is, relationships have the potential to be strengthened when we avoid sinful anger in our lives. Let's now turn our attention to the third truth we do well to embrace and act upon in order to strengthen the relationships in our lives. Truth number three, relationships are strengthened as we work hard to meet the needs of others. Relationships are strengthened as we work hard, as we apply ourselves toward the goal of meeting the needs of others. Verse 28 reads, Let him who steals... Steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. In this passage, Paul addresses thieves. Implied in the command is the fact that believers may struggle with besetting sin. Here, the believer struggles with the sin of stealing. And Paul makes it clear that the one who steals is to steal no longer. And in case one is tempted to make light of stealing, listen to what Paul declares elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says, Thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are different ways to steal. You steal when you take what does not belong to you. An employer can steal when he fails to pay an employee a fair wage. And the list can go on. Paul does not end his train of thought with the command not to steal. He follows up with the command, let him labor. Let him labor. And once again, we observe the put off put on paradigm. I have found in my counseling ministry that it is helpful for many to focus less on what they cannot do and to focus more on what they can do. Had Adam and Eve focused on all that they could do, they perhaps would not have been duped into doing the one thing that they were forbidden to do. And in verse 28, the thief is commanded to stop stealing, but consider the positive side of Paul's command. He is commanded to labor. Let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good. The man of God is called to labor. Paul does not specify the type of labor, only that it must be good. There are all kinds of praiseworthy labor available to man. And Paul provides a reason for labor in order. In order that he may have something to share with him who has need. 
I'm reminded of where the Apostle Paul says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And such a lesson was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It is no stretch to conclude that such deeds of kindness go a long way in establishing, maintaining, and strengthening relationships. We observe in the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, how the believers did what they could to meet the needs of their brethren. We read that all of those who had believed were together and they had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Evidently, there were those who perhaps through hard work were enabled to help others in need and that is exactly what they did. They stewarded their resources to meet the needs of others, of other believers. And the text goes on to say that these believers were continuing with one mind in the temple, the sense of unity, and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. It is no stretch to gather from the text that relationships were strengthened as folks worked hard to meet the needs of the less fortunate. There was a unity that was beautiful and put on display. And if you continue on in the text, we read that the Lord was adding daily to the church those who were being saved. Why? Because people were attracted to what they saw in the church when they saw that the people of God took care of the people of God. Relationships are strengthened. And so I ask you today, how are you doing? Are you stewarding your resources in such a way that you can bless others? Are you seeking to max out on your stewardship of what the Lord has entrusted to you? In what specific ways do you suppose the Lord would want you to be a blessing to others? But I will warn you, the more you do to bless others, the stronger your relationships are likely to be. You will discover a wealth in relationships that the Lord desires for you to experience. Not that this is your primary purpose, but you will increase the likelihood that folks will value you. As a wise person, you will win souls. Well, let us turn to truth number four. Relationships are strengthened as we use our words to edify others. Relationships are strengthened as we use our words to edify one another. Verse 29 reads, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. The word translated unwholesome can be understood as rotten or worthless, without value. I remember years ago uh, when I left a big bag of fish guts 
outside the garage door of my house. I noticed at first what was a fairly bad smell. I remember saying to my son, Caleb, Caleb, what is that smell out here? And Caleb says, Dad, it's the trash can. And so I kind of got on my tippy toes and smelt over the fence, and I assumed that Caleb was right. There was a bad smell coming from the trash can. But a couple of weeks later, I realized that the smell was becoming quite ferocious. And then I remembered that I had left that bag of fish outside of the garage door. And so then I began with my nose to follow the smell and it took me right to the bag of rotten, rotten, rotten fish guts. My nostrils did not take kindly to the suffocating stench of the rotten fish guts. Brothers and sisters, it was bad. I would rather have my nose smelling a skunk from two inches away than to have to smell the stench of the fish guts all over again. It was rotten. But how much worse are rotten words? Our rotten and unwholesome words have the power to turn others off. Such words are prohibited. There is never any place for such corrupt communication. If we aim at preserving the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and if we aim at strengthening our relationships one with another, we will heed the command to let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouth. The psalmist offers this prayer to the Lord in Psalm 141, verse 3, where he prays, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Our words matter. James tells us that our tongue has the potential to shape lives. He tells us in James 3, 5, that The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. What we say, the words we speak, have tremendous shaping power. We can, through the words we speak, instill life, instill hope, instill encouragement in another person. And this is what Paul aims at when he declares, we are to speak only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words should edify. They should build others up. Our words should be appropriate and necessary They should effectively meet the needs of others. And this implies that we know enough to accurately gauge what those needs might be. Our words should be timely. They should meet the need of the moment. We should be careful not to speak too soon nor to speak too late. And our words should minister grace 
Perhaps it goes without saying that we need grace from God to be used by God so that through our words, folks are edified and that grace is ministered. The grace that we want to minister is rooted in Christ and it is designed to build up, to advance spiritual growth in the life of another. And we should be encouraged to know that through our use of the gospel of God's grace, we have a powerful tool to effect positive change in the life of others. And as we come alongside others to encourage and build them up, we will greatly increase the chances of strengthening such relationships. And brothers and sisters, this is but one of many passages that address communication. Consider with me uh, Corinthians 10.31. We read, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What we say falls under the umbrella of whatever we do. When we speak, we are to speak to the glory of God. Uh, through his letters, the Apostle Paul always had in mind to minister the gospel of grace. It should always be in mind that we would want to minister the gospel of God's grace one to another. Paul is an example of gospel-centered communication that we do well to imitate. Like Paul, we should strive to minister the gospel of God's grace to those who are in our spheres of influence. In Colossians 4, 6, Paul declares, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Brothers, sisters, the Lord places a high premium on what and how we speak to one another. And so how are you doing? Your words reflect your heart. Jesus tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say is a reflection of what is in our heart. Uh, how are you doing? What would those who know you best say? Ask those closest to you. See what they say. Do you, through the words you speak, edify others and thus effectively strengthen the relationships in your life? Well, let us look to truth number five. Relationships are strengthened as we heed the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. Relationships are strengthened as we heed the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This passage applies to everything that has been stated thus far. When God, through his authoritative and sufficient word, directs our thoughts and deeds, and when we choose to disobey, we, in effect, grieve the Holy Spirit. The fact that the indwelling spirit can be grieved speaks of his personhood. The Holy Spirit is not a force. 
He is a person by whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption. The seal of the Holy Spirit indicates ownership. We have been purchased through the blood of Christ and the Spirit indwells us. He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and we belong to God. God is our rightful owner. And the day awaits when we will be fully and finally redeemed. Though we have been purchased with the blood of Christ, we still await the day of our final redemption. The seal of the Spirit is a guarantee of a future day when we will stand before the Lord in glory. In the meantime, we are commanded, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. To state that positively, we are to bring joy to the Spirit as we walk worthy of the Lord. We are to bring joy to the Spirit as we walk by the Spirit and manifest the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. Those fruits of the Spirit will serve to strengthen our relationships with others. But when we grieve the Spirit, we increase the likelihood of weakened and ruined relationships. Friends, we know that our Lord Jesus bled his blood at Calvary's cross to reconcile us to God and to one another. We have been created to glorify God by reflecting his image in our relationships with one another. And nothing will undermine that more than when we turn our backs to the gospel of God's grace and then grieve the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit is our internal moral compass who convicts us from the inside out. He convicts us of sin and He directs us as we look to the Word of God. The Spirit applies the Word of God and directs us onto holiness and onto meaningful relationships in our lives. And such relationships will be strengthened as we heed the ministry of the Spirit. And this makes sense when you think it through. The fruit of the Spirit are relational building qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruits will serve us well as we seek to strengthen our relationships. The Spirit is grieved when such relational building fruits are missing. The Spirit is grieved when sin hinders us in our fellowship with God and with one another. The Spirit is grieved when we fail to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And therefore, fellow saints, let us not grieve the Holy Spirit. We must be sensitive to the convicting work of the Spirit in our lives by confessing and turning away from sin that is revealed in our lives. We must submit to the guiding work of God's Spirit. This means we humbly receive God's implanted word and we act upon it. This means that we embrace the truth about who God is 
as revealed in his word, and we act upon it. This means we are to put off the old man. We are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and we are to put on the new self. If we do these things, if we follow through in obedience to the spirit's work in our lives, we will greatly increase the likelihood of strengthening the relationships that God wants to bless us with. Well, let us continue to hear what the Spirit wants to say as we turn to truth number six. Relationships are strengthened as we put away sinful attitudes and actions. Verse 31 says to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness can be defined as a state of sharp, intense resentment or hate. Wrath speaks of an indignant outburst of anger. Anger is a steady festering. It is an emotion we feel uh, when things fail to go our way or when others fail to act as we desire. And the net effect is that we end up becoming angry. Clamor speaks of a violent public outburst. Slander is the word from where we get blasphemy. It also carries this idea of speaking ill about others behind their back. Malice is wickedness and ill will. It is the wicked desire for something bad to happen to another person. Have you ever wished something bad to happen to another person? That is malice, and we are to put malice aside. This list... This list makes it clear that any sinful attitude and action that pins us against another person, uh, including another believer, is to be put away. Such sinful attitudes and actions serve to grieve the Holy Spirit. And we've already been commanded not to grieve the Holy Spirit. God's desire for unity and strengthened relationships demands that we put every sinful attitude and action away. This is not to say that we never disagree with another believer, but our disagreements ought always to be marked by charity, which brings us to the next truth, number seven. Relationships are strengthened as we put on Christ-like attitudes and actions. If we put on Christ we have greater potential for strengthened relationships among ourselves as the body of Christ. Relationships are strengthened as we put on Christ-like attitudes and actions. Verse 32 reads, And be kind to one another. Again, this is what we put on. We put off the anger and we put this on. Be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving each other. We are to be kind to one another. Uh, this is the same word used by Paul to describe God in Romans eleven twenty two. Listen to what Paul says. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. This passage describes the kindness of God and that we are to continue in his kindness. And Paul also uses the term to describe God in Titus 3, 4. 
but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. This passage points to Christ coming into this world to die for us as an expression of the kindness of God. And how kind of God to send forth His Son into this world to do what we have failed to do, and that is live a perfect life and then go to Calvary's cross in our place and to be willing to take upon Himself all of the wrath of Almighty God that should have been poured out upon us because of our sins. How kind it is of God to send Christ to die for us. To suffer in our place. To redeem us through His blood. To make propitiation for our sin who through his own sacrifice offers forgiveness of sin to all who believe. You cannot get any more kindness than that. Romans 2.4 tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Thus, gospel kindness is an effective strategy for winning souls to Christ. He who is wise wins souls through the instrument of the gospel. In Galatians 5.22, Paul uses the same word to describe kindness as one of the fruits of the Spirit. And when we are filled with and walking by the Spirit, the fruit of kindness will be manifest. Kindness is associated with the love and mercy of God, but it also carries the idea of being useful the kind person seeks to meet real need. It is no stretch to conclude that being kind is a way to strengthen relationships in our lives. To be tender-hearted is to have a strong feeling of compassion and even pity for another. The word refers to the bowels from where emotion springs. Uh, we are to have a deep sense of compassion for one another, compassion, even for those who perhaps have hurt us, our response, rather than anger, ought to be one of compassion. We are also commanded to be forgiving. The present participle indicates un unlimited succession of acts of forgiveness. This makes sense. After all, the Lord tells us that we are to forgive 70 times 7. And Peter perhaps is thinking in his own mind, are you kidding me? No. I am not kidding. He teaches Jesus teaches that, that those who have been forgiven will forgive. And, and Paul here commands his readers to be forgiving, to forgive. What is implied is that as believers, we will be sinned against. It's not a matter of if, it's, it's simply a matter of when. The question is, what will we do? when sinned against. 
when your spouse is struggling with the remnants of indwelling sin, what will you do? When your child sins against you, how will you respond? When a fellow church member says or does something to hurt you, will you forgive? And notice that the passage does not command you to forgive if your forgiveness is sought. We are to embrace a disposition of forgiveness. If and when someone seeks our forgiveness, we should be able to say, you are forgiven. Uh, Not only that, I have already forgiven you. You are completely and fully forgiven even before you asked me to forgive you. But since you have asked, of course, of course, I forgive you. The Apostle Paul has in mind through his instruction the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He envisions strong, healthy relationships. He expects the relationships of his readers to be shaped by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, he knows that as the people of God, we struggle. That's why he addresses these sin issues in the lives of genuine people of God. But he's not content to just let us settle in our sinfulness. He has a vision for the people of God that they be who they are in Christ. And this is why he comes after them with his instruction. And Paul knows apart from the gospel, we will struggle in our efforts to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. And this is why his letter is front-loaded with the gospel Chapters 1 through 3, he preaches gospel. He prays gospel into the Ephesians. And this is why Paul, once again, brings our thoughts full circle to the gospel. And this brings us to the final truth that we must embrace and act upon in order to strengthen our relationships with one another. Truth number 8, relationships are strengthened through the power of the gospel. This is our hope. This is our confidence. This is our strength. This is our empowerment. This is our enablement that through the power of the gospel, we can walk by the Spirit. We can walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We can preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We can love one another. We can be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Why? Because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Paul knows that strength for strong relationships is grounded in the gospel. And this becomes clear as we hear Paul proclaim, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, we as the people of God do well to remember afresh our great transgressions against a holy God. We who have showered God with our sin are washed clean with the blood of the Lamb. 100% clean. Colossians tells us that in Him we are complete. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. This is what the Bible teaches. Almighty God saw fit to forgive us of our countless sins. And when we realize God's amazing grace... 
magnificent mercy and unfathomable forgiveness that has been poured out upon us, we have no other option but to freely forgive and we happily do because for Christ's sake, we can. We can. We have the ability to forgive. This is how forgiven sinners respond when sinned against. We forgive. Not because we have the strength in and of ourselves, but because through the gospel we have been forgiven a huge debt and we are empowered to forgive. It is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We could just as well say that the gospel is the power of God unto forgiveness to all who believe. That lies at the very heart of the gospel, that our many sins have been forgiven, and therein is power. The gospel is God's power to forgive sinners, and then it is our power, the sinner's power, to forgive others. And so in the same way that we are forgiven, we are to forgive And we are never more like Christ than when sinned against, we freely forgive. The next time someone sins against you, seize upon it as opportunity. See it as an opportunity for growth, for honoring the Lord, to forgive even as you have been forgiven. Again, we are never more like Jesus than when sinned against, we freely forgive. Seventy times seven. Every single time. So we have considered eight truths to embrace and act upon to strengthen our relationships with each other. Number one, relationships are strengthened as we speak truth to each other. And number two, relationships are strengthened as we avoid sinful anger in our lives. Three, relationships are strengthened as we work hard to meet the needs of others. Number four, relationships are strengthened as we use our words to edify, to build others up. Uh, five, relationships are strengthened as we heed the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, six, relationships are strengthened as we put away sinful attitudes and actions. Seven, relationships are strengthened as we put on Christ-like attitudes and actions. And then eight, relationships are strengthened through the power of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, our Lord through his sacrifice at Calvary has made us to be one new man. We are Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are family. And may the Lord help us in our efforts to behave in a way that is consistent with who we are. And may our relationships with one another be strengthened as we embrace these eight truths that the Lord has brought before us today. I'd like to ask you to pray with me.
Heavenly Father, we are reminded afresh this morning that as the church of God, we are not without struggle. We are not without fault. We are not without need for exhortation and admonition and correction. We are those, Lord, who, though saved by grace through faith in Christ, who need continual sanctification. We need for you to work in us to help us to be who we are in Christ. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to put off the old man, to be renewed in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new man. And as we walk according to the new man that we are in Christ, Lord, let our relationships with one another glorify your holy name. May you be the one who is exalted and lifted up. Lord, even as you have seen fit to humble yourself and to come into this world taking on flesh and doing what we failed to, to do, you lived a perfect life and you went to Calvary's cross for us to redeem us, Lord, to bring us into a relationship with you and to give to us, Lord, a family. Help us, Lord, to value our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, God, to love one another. For love is of God, and he who loves is born of God, and he knows God. Let us know you, Lord, and let such knowledge of you be expressed horizontally in how we love one another, Lord. And Lord, even as we were reminded, we once again lift up to your throne of grace. Those in our midst, Lord, who perhaps are struggling, suffering, going through difficult times, we pray, Lord, for your grace to be poured out abundantly that the tsunami of your love would flood their lives, that through the body of Christ they would know that they are dearly, dearly, dearly loved. Lord, we know that your word tells us that when one person suffers, we all suffer. When one person grieves... We all grieve. We pray, Lord, that you would minister mightily to all of us your grace, your comfort, your strengthening, and that, Lord, again, you would help us to love one another. Bless us later as we gather together in care group. Bless our time of discussion. May that time prove to be fruitful. And we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.